Desire Power, Chapter 3, The Evolution of Desire. Desire is the one mental element, attribute or quality, which is discovered to be present universally in all living things. Differ as do the various forms and varieties of living things in respect to the qualities, attributes, or faculties of observation, perception, and thinking. Nevertheless, in each and every living creature is to be found present and active, the fundamental element, quality or attribute of desire. Though the thinking powers decrease as the scale of life is descended, the element of desire is found to lose nothing in power in the lower forms of life. Though the degree of complexity of manifestation, of course, is lessened. As the evolutionists have pointed out, and as the philosophers of certain schools have been quick to note and to assert, the element of desire appears earlier in the scale of life than does intellect, and therefore is perceived to be far more fundamental and basic than is the latter. Even in vegetable life, there is manifest for presence and activity of unconscious desire, though there is no sign of intellect. The newborn human babe can scarcely be held to manifest intellect, but there can be no mistake concerning the presence of desire as a fundamental element of its mental being. When intellect first appears in living creatures, it seems to have been evolved for the purpose of serving desire. In view of the discovered facts concerning the elemental and fundamental character of desire, certain philosophers have asserted that in desire is to be found the primal stuff from which the entire psychic being of living creatures has been evolved. In short, this view holds that nature, the inner nature of nature is spiritual and that the basic and fundamental existence of that spiritual nature of nature is desire in its elemental form. They claim in the words of Schopenhauer that desire is the kernel of all life in the individual creature and in the entire universe. To these philosophers, desire is not a mere mental quality, but is rather the essential element of life and therefore of all living things. The Buddhists go so far as to assert that desire, called by them tanha, or the will to live, is the real creative power of and in nature, and which is the cause of the continuous process of creative evolution. The following quotation from Subhadra Bhikshu, a Buddhist writer, gives a general idea of the Buddhistic conception of the power and offices of desire as the creative principles of nature. <clears throat> this writer says, the will to live, tanha, inherent in all of us and the essential factor in our being is the true creative power. It is the cause of our existence and is in fact the creator, preserver and destroyer of all things. The term the will to live in the Buddhist sense of the word does not merely imply what the Western world understands by conscious will, but rather that instinctive life love, which partly consciously, 
partly unconsciously, to themselves is inherent in all living beings, animals and plants, as well as man. In this term, the will to live or craving for existence are summed up all those functions, powers, desires, inclinations, and disinclinations, which tend to the preservation of life and the acquisition of comfort and enjoyment. The Western student of Buddhism must be repeatedly reminded not to confound the will to live, that is the desire for life, the cleaving to existence, with the conscious will or the so-called free will. Conscious will is but a fraction of the whole will to live, namely such portion as passes through the organ of the brain, which is the vehicle of consciousness. But the greater portion of the will to live never reaches consciousness in plants and animals and but imperfectly in men. It shows itself as a mere blind instinct, an invertebrate cleaving to existence, an effort to grasp at everything that makes life pleasant and to avoid whatever hurts or endangers it. Schopenhauer, von Hartmann, and to some extent Bergson tend to regard the spirit of nature or the universal life principle as having desire as its essential element or factor. Schopenhauer postulated the existence of a world spirit or universal life principle, the essence of which is desire. The spirit of longing, craving, lusting for, wishing, seeking for, tending toward outward expression and action. He held that this principle of desire manifests itself in various degrees and phases in physical, chemical, magnetic, and vital force in nature. Its most striking phase, however, being the will to live, which manifests in all living forms, seeking expression and objective manifestation its characteristic phases being the striving to maintain and to perpetuate life, the struggle for existence and the instinct to perpetuate the species. We have presented to you the above characteristic forms of this school of philosophical thought, that of the Buddhists and that of the Western voluntarists, not as necessarily representing the philosophical thought of the present writers, nor for the purpose of awaking an interest in such schools of philosophy on the part of our readers, but merely for the purpose of directing your attention to the recognition by careful thinkers of the fact that desire is fundamental, elemental, and omnipresent in nature's processes, activities, and forms. We direct your attention to the facts, the reference to the philosophies built upon them being merely incidental and secondary. We can never hope to know what desire is in itself. Like all great forces, it is to be known only through its manifestations and expressions. We know it most intimately by reason of its presence in ourselves, but even so, we thus know it merely in the particular phase of development it has reached in ourselves. For the rest, we must look at its manifestation in other forms of life. The philosophers assert, and with apparent support of facts, that the principle of desire is to be found actively manifesting in inanimate things, in atoms, molecules, and masses of inorganic matter, and in the physical forces and energies of matter. But we shall not go that far back in our examination. Instead, we shall begin with the elementary living forms. 
even in the most lowly life forms, even in the forms of plant life, we find desire manifesting along three general lines. One, the line of the preservation of the physical form or body. Two, the line of the satisfaction of hunger or the desire for nourishment. And three, the line of preservation of the species or satisfaction of the desire for reproduction. These three lines of desires and the activities resulting from their expression are the three phases of the great elemental desire for life or the will to live. They represent the elemental desire of life to live, maintain life, and to secure the transmission of life to offspring. These three phases of desire are present in the Maniron and are present in man. Even in the single cells of which the bodies of plants and animals are constituted, these three phases of desire are manifested actively. Each living thing, cell to man, strives to protect its physical form intact, to secure food and nourishment, and to propagate itself. This desire is elemental and basic. It proceeds along the lines of appetency or instinct and of conscious feeling. It is manifested with as great vigor in the lowly life forms as in the higher. Nature in its spirit of desire works ever to preserve and maintain the life of the individual form through which it manifests. To cause it to secure the proper nourishment to sustain life, and to cause it to propagate its kind and to reproduce itself through offspring. Here then we have a basic foundation of desire upon which the entire structure is built. The desire to live. The desire to live, to preserve and protect the physical body from danger and injury, the will to live, the fight for life, all these are forms and phases of that basic instinctive desire to live, which is found in all living creatures vegetable or animal, from single cell to man. The living creature does not need to reason itself into this belief. It is instinctive. Even the most pessimistic individual, while asserting that his reason shows him the valuelessness of life, will flee from anything threatening his life. He cannot help this, for it is instinctive. From this desire to live spring many other likes and dislikes with their appropriate desires. The things believed to be conducive to life and health are held to be good. Those believed to be harmful are held to be bad. Man instinctively seeks the life and health giving things and avoids the opposite. Pain is the danger signal of nature warning against things threatening life or health. Primitive and elemental pleasure producing things are usually found to have been originally conducive to physical well-being. The qualities are feelings of combativeness and destructiveness, the elements of courage and bravery, as well as the traits of caution, cunning, prudence, observed in the lower animals, in primitive man and in civilized man, arose chiefly in response to the instinctive feeling and desire for life and self-preservation. The living creature found it necessary to protect itself from its enemies and develop the qualities of self-defense. Those individuals or species lacking in these qualities perished in the struggle for existence. These tendencies became set in the early history of the human race. In fact, they were probably well-established in the inherited nature of primitive man, having reached him through evolution. 
that these qualities and their desires have persisted in civilized man in their original force, though usually hidden beneath the surface, is evidenced by man's reversion to his primitive emotional states and desires during times of war. And by his taste for witnessing and engaging in physical sports in which the elements of strife, combat, struggle, and competition are involved. Here is a good place in which to call your attention to an interesting and important fact of psychology. The principle may be stated as follows. A habit originally formed in the race by reason of necessity and becoming set by repetition during many generations gradually acquires the quality of pleasure producing. And as a pleasure producing activity, such habit persists firmly fixed in the race long after the original necessity has disappeared. This explains the fact that hunting, fishing, trapping, tests of physical skill and strength, games requiring physical strength and agility, etc., are found to be pleasure producing by men who are no longer compelled to exercise these powers and arts of self-protection, self-preservation, and physical well-being. Many of man's instinctive fears and dislikes have originally arisen from the early experiences of the race in which the element of self-preservation was called into play. These aversions caused actions and courses of conduct which preserved primitive man from injury or death in the fierce struggle for existence on the physical plane which raged in his day. That they persist even to this day when the necessity for them has largely disappeared is not to be wondered at in view of the fact that countless generations of men manifesting them have given to them a set habit form in human instinct and character. Professor Schneider says, it is a fact that men, especially in childhood, fear to go into a dark cavern or a gloomy wood. It is quite sure that this fear at a certain perception sometimes is directly inherited. Children who have been carefully guarded from all ghost stories are nevertheless terrified and cry if led into dark places, especially if sounds are made in there. Even an adult can easily observe that an uncomfortable timidity steals over him in a lonely wood at night, although he may have fixed conviction that not the slightest danger is near. This feeling of fear occurs in many men, even in their own homes after dark, although it is much stronger in a dark cavern or forest. The fact of such instinctive fear is easily explicable when we consider that our ancestors through innumerable generations were accustomed to meet with dangerous beasts in caverns, especially bears, and were for the most part attacked by such beasts during the night and in the woods, and that thus an inseparable association between the perception of darkness, caverns, woods, and fear took place and was inherited. The desire for nourishment. The desire for nourishment in the shape of food, drink, etc., is also an elemental, primitive, instinctive feeling and want. The continuance and the well-being of every physical body depends upon nourishment and the will to live implants in each creature the strong, insistent urge toward obtaining such. So elemental is this phase and form of desire that the terms hunger and thirst 
represent the strongest ideas and feelings of want, craving, and desire of which the human mind is capable. The terms tanha and trishna, which the Buddhists employ to indicate the nature of the will to live, mean hunger and thirst, respectively. One of the definitions of hunger is a strong or eager desire or longing. Many of the secondary desires of animals and men are derived from the elementary desire for food and nourishment. For instance, they long for the places in which food abounds. They desire the means of obtaining that food. Man desires the qualities and powers which will enable him to secure food. The desire for food is the prime economic necessity and the actions of the individuals and of nations proceed along the lines of this need and desire. In times of famine, this elemental urge pushes aside the later tendencies of civilization and causes men to revert to the condition of their primitive ancestors with whom hunger was a common experience. A starving man often becomes like a savage or a wild beast in many respects. In the state of civilization, Men are not so keenly aware of this strong elemental desire because they scarcely ever become really hungry. But let them be deprived of food for a short time and the old savage demand manifests itself in its original vigor. <clears throat>